New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Today, we're with Stephen Phillips. Welcome along to the podcast, Stephen. How are you? Very good. Thanks, Paul. Excellent. Um, maybe you can remind uh, listeners, it's been a little while since you've been on the show and things have changed a little bit. So maybe you can fill people in on where you fit into this big wide world of tech. Yeah, I was in the world of uh, cloud native sort of um, observability data with uh, Sumo Logic, and then uh, took took a bit of a pivot into the enterprise world, uh, work, working in the financial sector as a chief information security officer, and uh, ha- had some great experiences and all there, building building out a great cyber team and all for the company I was working with, and just very recently have uh, pivoted back towards. Uh, Working basically out, how can I provide value to New Zealand businesses sort of uh, better um, in the cybersecurity space? So looking at um, advisory type stuff um, and and also a number of sort of entrepreneurial sort of startup type opportunities. So, yeah, it's exciting times. Excellent, excellent. Well, great to uh, have you back on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. A big thank you to our show partners, Vocus, Vodafone, Spark, Datacom, Palo Alto Networks, HP, uh, Gorilla Technology and Umbrella Connect. Well, let's let's delve into the the news. I saw um, looking at Business Desk uh, that TikTok has recently jumped into, uh, I guess, going through the hoops to set up a New Zealand uh, presence, getting a, a, a legal yeah. entity set up. Which I, th- you know, I thought, oh, this is you know, this is interesting because it was only. Well, last last year, really, we were we were hearing that you know TikTok were going to be banned from you know US, yeah. and then there was maybe going to be this sort of sale to Microsoft Larry was, was going to buy it, and then yeah, yeah. Larry Ellison, <laughs> Oracle, and maybe they were going to buy it. Um, it was going to be split up, and you know there's all all sorts sort of going on, and you know at that time we delved into. You know, some some work a few cybersecurity folks had been doing to sort of delve in, having you know decompiled the app code, and eh, it wasn't it wasn't you know looking like the the safest uh, you know place to be in terms of a few aspects that were uh, you know noticed behind the scenes and sort of lack of uh, encryption of certain data that was flowing around the place. Now we've seemed to have moved on a, a lot from there. But still, we've got you know there are I guess a, a Chinese uh, based and, and owned company that have you know one app that sort of targets the Chinese market. ByteDance um, have that one app, and then they've got TikTok for for the rest of the world. Setting up in in New Zealand a New Zealand entity does that does that change things from uh, from your perspective? Well, on one hand, um, you know if a company is actually registering locally. Um, you're hoping they're going to be a good tax citizen, and um, so that that would be the you know, the benefits of doing that. And and obviously, if they're incorporating locally, um, that also makes them subject to the uh, Privacy Act in New Zealand. So so you're hoping that it, it's for all of the right reasons. Um, but you've also got to look at you know is is this part basically of the Digital Silk Road type initiative? So there's all sorts of different uh, ways you could spin this, and then you know, I'm not close enough to it really to to have an informed opinion. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm hoping they're going to be a good tax citizen and they're going to keep privacy uh, uh, very. Uh, 
very, very seriously. Mm, well, we've obviously got our new um, yeah, privacy leg- legislation in, in New Zealand, uh, you know, since late uh, late 2020. Mm. There's not really any teeth to it, though, is there? So, if, if you know, there's, I guess, you know, yeah. people could attract attention for, you know, falling foul of the, the rules to one degree or another, but, um, you know, there's not too much pain other than sort of negative media coverage is there it's not well, huge fines or no things is there on a on a global basis uh, you know a couple of hundred thousand dollars doesn't mean anything to a lot of these sort of um, global media sort of uh, companies so yeah it doesn't doesn't have teeth from that perspective mm. but um it's certainly reputa- reputation damage, but um, you know, unless unless a, a government's going to step in to actually do something to uh, mitigate that um yeah yeah. And uh, yeah, how much does you know reputation damage sort of play out? We look at all the different cybersecurity incidents and you know privacy things, and it, you know it seems like most you know most often there can be a bit of a hit, but uh, you know things get seem to get back to normal yeah, people- quite quite quickly. Like um, mm. you know, I, I called up. Um, the government health line about something, and you know they very quickly were saying, "Well, what's your birth date?" And I said, "Well, you know, I wouldn't trust giving my birth date to you unless I have a you know a real need that you know to yeah. give you that. I'm asking for some generic information, yeah. and you know we know we know how uh, certain entities end up uh, you know losing this information. So uh, no, you, you you can't have that. But we move on very very quickly, generally speaking, and yeah. you, you forget that you know. A lot of data has been, you know, been leaked through through varying varying things, and um, certainly the general public, uh, you know, uh, appear to. Yeah, well, yeah. You take Zoom. You know, before the pandemic, there was a lot of people actually saying, oh, they didn't have end-to-end encryption and all those types of things. And there was a lot of questions being asked, and governments were saying, um, yeah, not on our watch uh, yet. Uh, it's now being used basically. Um, as the as the vehicle basically for communications across sort of multiple government uh, governments, uh, uh, US, Germany, um, and and a number of other sort of uh, com- countries have actually sort of fully embraced it. So, yeah, um, companies do move on, and I'm I'm hoping that maybe maybe TikTok's sort of going in that direction as well, and uh, all is good, and it's 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 not uh, not anything other than that. All right. Well, we'll we'll see how these things play out. Yes. <laughs> um, now, Unimarket, which is a, a New Zealand um, software marketplace uh, aggregator, um, they have sold a majority stake to uh, US private equity firm um, XL KKR. Seventy-five uh, percent of the business. It seems like this is to, um, and and you know, in part, I think you know some of their shareholders, um, some of the early shareholders will. Uh, will exit, but bringing in, um, you know, bringing in a chunk of uh, of funds into the business. You've had some interactions with them. What, what can you tell us uh, yeah. about what what they do? Yeah, so I, I had the great opportunity to work with Peter Kane, sort of probably going back now three three and a bit years um, when they were. They were primarily in the in the education sort of sector and doing some great things around procurement solutions and all for education sector, um, but they were starting to pivot obviously into uh, into financial and looking to move into government uh, procurement and the likes. Mm. Um, so so this will be a great opportunity for them to actually you know, really sort of uh, enter markets and also uh, pivot a bit in terms of maybe. 
the sectors that they're able to target and maybe look at um, broader functionality, maybe mature out um, you know, subscription-based sort of procurement or, or other things. So, yeah, um, great opportunities for, for Peter and the team at uh, Unimarket. Um, yeah, yeah, great, yeah. great, great company and some really innovative uh, people and it's, uh, uh, it's a great, great New Zealand story. Mm, mm. And, um, yeah, they've got, it says they've got, um, I think what I was seeing a reference to about 45 staff at the moment. Yeah. This obviously, you know, facilitates, uh, you know, further investment into uh, into people and yeah. you know, predominantly New Zealand uh, New Zealand based, which is, is great. Well, that, that's almost doubled, I think, really in the last three years because I, I think it was probably closer to around the 20 staff sort of yeah. uh, back yeah. three years ago. So mm. it's uh, good to see that they're growing. And uh, $4 billion, that's, uh, you know, they've uh, transacted um, – through their platform over over the last uh, last year, so um, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, and they have a have a model basically of you know, sim- similar to the you know the Stripe with a you know subscription fee and a and a percentage basically on the on the money through the market. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure they've probably got other other models as well. But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, very very flexible sort of uh, piece of software, and it, and it's kind of great to see you know another New Zealand sort of um, ISV basically doing well basically on the on the on the global stage. Yeah, we've seen a lot a lot of that recently. Yeah, yeah. I was I mean it's great to see our our software firms uh, yeah. doing well. And yeah, the long long may it continue. I say absolutely. You know, the, at the beginning of the pandemic, sort of everyone was sort of like shuttering shuttering the doors a bit and uh, getting you know trying to weather for the storm. But um, I think the New Zealand ISVs have actually done um, remarkably well. Actually, uh, if if you look at actually just the number of sort of acquisitions and all that have happened um, in the last sort of six months or so. Mm. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, in fact, it reminds me we need to uh, we need we need to uh, get a bit of time delving into Vend and um, and this and the story there from uh, from uh, Vaughan and the team. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's 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 one of those uh, software software sales that uh, yeah, I think it'd be great to hear a, a bit of uh, a bit of the backstory on. Yeah. Um, now there was a. a a little outage in in January that hit uh, hit some government uh, government websites, and I saw this being um, being picked up. Uh, there was Newsroom who um, uh, wrote a little headline uh, today uh, titled "Government Didn't Report Possible Hack." Um, <laughs> that sort of just jumped out to me as being. I don't know, sort of quite, you know, clickbaity, and just didn't didn't seem like the right sort of uh, the right sort of thing to be to be saying around this um, outage. I think there was a a window of time where they didn't necessarily understand the full details of what happened, but it was 76 minutes, um, you know, mid mid January where some things weren't uh, weren't working as they as they should. Should an entity be reporting? Uh, Something when they're not even sure that it's a, a cyber security incident and putting that out there in the public is this normal? Well, attribution does take a lot of time and there's yeah. a lot of work to go through forensics to actually get to the bottom of these things. But um, I remember this actually when when it was occurring and uh, uh, certainly my sources um, didn't indicate that it, there was anything sort of untoward going on in terms of um, any form of breach at the time. Um, mm. Yeah, my understanding was that it was more of a um, 
you know, a, a service configuration sort of uh, issue, uh, mm, not mm-hmm. not necessarily a data breach. But uh, you know, sometimes it takes uh, many months, if not years, for for all of the detail to come out because uh, forensics is inherently difficult to to achieve, and attribution um, even more so. So, yeah, yeah. yeah may, may, maybe this. Um, company doing the reporting has actually got some sort of a s- secret inside scoop but um, it, it certainly hasn't hasn't come out basically in the uh, you know the security apparatus sort of uh, people that I've been working with in the last sort of uh, year or so uh, yeah, yeah well I mean the um, the article that was published seemed to point it back to that you know you know it was all quite clear where the issues happened and um, that the not actually a, a cyber security Incident yeah. and yeah. so that the the, the he- headlines are a bit disingenuous to sort of pull people in on that. Indeed, basis. yeah, and and the government uh, with the Reserve Bank um, with the cyber resilience sort of guidelines are starting to have conversations uh, with regulated entities around. Um, uh, compelling, basically, disclosure of cyber cyber breaches, cyber incidents, mm. and and I think it is a good thing that um, organisations actually are held accountable for um, improving the cyber resilience of us as us as a country. So I, I think it's a good thing, and mm. both you know government entities as well as private sort of uh, entities uh, should be subject to this type of a thing because yep. it, it it can only actually help us as a as a nation. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we need we need to keep stepping up, and um, yeah, these things have to be yeah ultimately come out. But uh, yeah, how and when those things are reported, uh, yeah, it needs to be done in a in a responsible and appropriate uh, manner. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, you don't necessarily need to report something that uh, was actually never a, a cyber incident. Yeah, cyber yeah. I'd, incident. I'd like to know basically what the source is and, you know, uh, b- b- before you can actually determine whether it's credible or not. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the, just as looking at uh, local, local things, um, mobile virtual network operators. Um, yep. We've, you know, when, when I've sort of looked around the world, there's, there's quite often, you know, quite a number of these uh, these entities, and uh, you know, in the US, some of them have actually got, you know, qu- they're quite big mobile so. brands. They just they didn't actually have their own network behind them, um, and uh, you know, some some of those uh, brands actually will, you know, will work with mo- you know multiple carriers, and they've mm-hmm. you know a few different sort of approaches. Um, but here in in the New Zealand market, it's never really, um, you know, never really. They've never really gained too much traction, other than um, Skinny. Which, when you look at Skinny, it's um, you know, yes, it is a, a virtual network, but it's it's yeah. just it's another brand yeah. within within Sparks World. Um, so they've you know they've sliced off and created a brand um, that, in my understanding, was was really developed to. Um, Head two degrees off at yeah. the at, so at the pass, right? It's the Procter and Gamble approach: have um, multiple brands basically on the shelf, right? Mm, so mm. yeah, um, and you know they they seem to have done you know reason reasonably well on uh, on on that basis mm-hmm. um, in terms of 
you know, I don't have the, the exact uh, you know numbers in front of me, um, but certainly it hasn't 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 stopped uh, two degrees in their in their tracks. In fact, um, you know, I was with, with two degrees uh, Monday mornings. They've opened their new uh, their new premises on Fanshawe Street in Auckland, very flash new space where they can house about uh, 600 people, and they shared they're now up to uh, 1.6 million. Uh, customers, Colors, yeah. um, you know, across their network, and of course they're more than just mobile these days. With uh, uh, being an internet internet uh, service provider for a good number number of years, uh, but uh, yeah, look look like they're uh, they're doing all right based on their uh, yeah. their their uh, you know fan, fancy new uh, premises and uh, yeah, their well, new new positioning in the city. Ho- hopefully, they're going to be um, investing investing again in their staff because you know certainly at the beginning of the pandemic there was a few uh, um, nervous uh, nervous telco operators out so you know given that people are investing in fancy new premises um, hopefully they're um, investing in uh, sufficient staff as well so yeah but I think you know MVNO has been around for more than 20 years in New Mm, Zealand mm, and mm. The traction just hasn't happened, and uh, I think some of it comes down to basically it's how do you take care of your customers, and as soon as you're actually effectively um, providing a, a, a virtual service, um, the, the MBO operators actually got to provide the actual front level of service, and they don't necessarily have access to all of the the, the tools and the tools to yeah. do it efficiently mm, so sometimes mm. you end up basically with a drop basically in service levels that um, you know, is reflected in net, net you know net promoter scores and those types of things so and people vote with their feet so if you can't actually provide that great sort of customer experience uh, you're not going to be able to grow uh, your customer base which then leads to churn so that that's I think why we're really you know in this part of the market basically you're only seventy thousand odd subscribers and mm. and you haven't seen them grow like in the in the US markets um, maybe where some of the providers have been able to invest more in automation mm. to make sure that the actual experience is at least on par or if not better. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's the Commerce Commission's um, re- report. Uh, a few months ago, yeah, the highlighted putting Skinny aside, but uh, Compass, Kogan Mobile, Trust Power, uh, Vocus, and Warehouse Mobile had a combined 1.4% sort of you know, market market share, uh, you know, but under uh, 90,000 subscribers basically. So yeah. yeah, it's quite a small slice. I did wonder whether. Warehouse mobile might get a bit of traction because what I've noticed in the in the US is uh, you know some some of their um, you know big big box sort of retailers and so on uh, you know would really push these these different offerings and so you'd you know you'd go into um, a retailer like uh, just trying trying to think of you know Walmart style style mm-hmm. retailer uh, anyway and um, you know they they would have all the handsets on display and then they would have all these different offerings from they would have the you know the direct mobile operators like the AT&T um, but they'd also have those sort of you know uh, mobile virtual network operator options and so you could buy whichever plan from you know whichever was kind of the best the best deal, um, and so you know those were a really big way in which these virtual network operators get pushed. But in New Zealand, you you don't you don't see much. In fact, you know, Kogan I think was 
the most recent one to Kogan Mobile to come into the market. And, uh, you know, Kogan in Australia is something of a, um, uh, you know, I guess a, an online retailer, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, yeah. a local Australian kind of, com- you know, c- competitor to, to the likes of an Amazon. In fact, last year they bought up um, uh, Mighty Ape here in, in, yeah. in New Zealand. Um, and they seem to have built up enough traction as a brand that they're they're doing reasonably well in Australia. But uh, yeah, it seems they've they've yeah. they've struggled to do much much yeah. here because I guess they don't have market share. Yeah, it might might be a question for Tony to um, answer. What's what's happening with MVNO? Um, you know, is is the level of service basically that an MVO gets basically the same basically as as the as the primary operators sort of service or, mm, or mm. you know are, are there is there degradation or quality of service issues sort of um you know as you get out of the, how does, how does the urban work? areas yeah so, yeah yeah well, we might um, have that one for tony ben yeah. when he's on the sh- on the show yeah. uh next time because yeah i guess yeah. kogan does as sits on top of vodafone's network mm-hmm. and when you i seem to remember when sort of reading their their terms and details online it all sort of pushed sort of straight back to vodafone so mm-hmm. it's it it yeah, it may well be very closely uh, coupled with Vodafone and just using Vodafone's mm-hmm. customer service, or or it may be more tightly back to yeah. uh, sure Doctor Kogan. So, um, um, yeah. so yeah, that would be inter- interesting to um, get a bit more of a uh, an understanding on. But um, it does what it does leave is it leaves us with a, a I guess a somewhat less competitive uh, you know market if those virtual uh, network operators aren't really you know, yeah. gaining much uh, much traction, yeah. uh, then there isn't too much need for our other mobile brands to, um, yeah, maybe be a little a little bit more competitive at at, at times. Yeah, well, I, I know at one point I thought, you know, if you can aggregate all of your bills, yeah, yeah, your gas, your electricity, your yeah, your your fixed broadband and your mobile all onto one bill, you can actually have a lot simpler life, but. Uh, yeah, we just haven't seen basically the um, the uptake of that type of a model. Um, you know, whether it's for economic reasons or quality of service reasons, um, unsure. I'd, I'd like to find out. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it seems to be trust power of gain the most traction in terms of you know really bringing together uh, you know power and internet service. But yeah, adding in more than more than that uh, doesn't seem to have really uh, oh, hasn't taken um, off been a been a thing here so um, yeah that yeah. will be interesting to, to see how that plays out in fact I, I remember hearing um, yeah maybe it was somebody at maybe it's somebody at Samsung um, you know because they do the the partnership yeah. uh, with trust power and give away the free TVs and free yeah. you know bits and pieces of course you you do pay for it it's built into the the pricing in there yeah. um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, it, 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 I got the impression that uh, trust power was the biggest or or certainly one of the biggest um, you know channels through which Samsung product is is uh, you know certainly the TVs sort of sells into yeah. uh, into the New Zealand uh, market so it's obviously worked very well for both parties there. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, now uh, on to um, I guess you know slightly beyond New Zealand's um, shores, uh, Afterpay, an Australian company, yep. although they're certainly um, uh, yeah very active here and, and involved in the New Zealand market too. Um, in fact, very much a globe, global global uh, company. Have had uh, their shareholders have had an incredible payday. Um, 
Square have have bought them, which of course uh, you know a payments company uh, founded by Twitter's Jack Dorsey. Yeah. Twenty nine billion US dollars is uh, is what we understand that sale uh, works out at, um, or yeah, around you know a little over. 40, 41 uh, billion uh, New Zealand dollars. So this is a this is a you know I guess a um, a huge validation that this model that we didn't have um, certainly didn't have it ten years ago. I think it's uh, about seven seven years uh, since uh, it's even or is it even less than that since uh, since Afterpay um, you know start started in the in the market. I think two thousand and uh, you know fourteen. Uh, was when they when they started, um, and you know this seems to be the thing that you know the younger generation is more interested in in terms of a way of of paying for things that they maybe don't have the cash right now, rather than moving into uh, into credit cards. Yeah, and and I think you're going to find some of the more traditional, you know, the card providers like the Mastercard sort of. Uh, Providers of like Q Mastercard and Gem and all, all all of those other traditional providers are going to really struggle unless they can actually find ways to innovate, and and I think you know the afterpay model, um, it's effectively the retailers taking taking the clip basically for uh, providing basically that uh, that revenue stream and and it does make it easier especially you know y- younger people as you say who want to actually um, you know, want, want want the uh, want the value now but they want to pay later. Um, but you know they've probably heard from their parents basically in times gone by. You know don't get caught up putting stuff on your credit card, and, and this doesn't sound like a credit card to them, so it's it's game on. So you know they, these um, you know business to business sort of business to consumer sort of payment providers, I think are going to become more and more prevalent basically as some of the globals start sort of um, you know, getting into the market. So you know the likes of you know Google. Um, the likes of you know Amazon and Apple as they start actually bringing their products into international markets, it's mm-hmm. going to get um, really interesting. But uh, I think Afterpay has actually uh, made some great traction in this market, and you know, we're, we're just going to see more and more of this, I think, going forward because uh, it's it's really an arms race basically to control payments. Mm. And you know you've got you know, companies like Zero who who have got a you know a multi-billion-dollar payments business for B2B. Um, so, you know, disaggregating or disintermediating basically the traditional, you know, the trading and the card providers is is going to be something that we're going to see a lot more of. Yeah, I think we we have a lot of interesting, uh, you know, things still, you know, still to kind of happen in in the market when it comes to you know financial tech and and yeah, new, fintechs, new business yeah, yeah. Uh, models and 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 changes. Uh, even though we you know when you when you have a maybe a, a you know closer look at the the likes of Afterpay and we've got yeah also uh, you know firms here like Layby out of New Zealand and and yeah. uh, and others that have entered into this uh, the space. When you sort of break it down, they're not necessarily. A million miles away from you know the credit card, mm-hmm. uh, you know scenario. There's a there's a period in which you pay yeah. it off, you know slightly slightly differently and sort of you know weekly fortnightly mm-hmm. chunks depending on the on the yeah. on the provider. They're, they're um, and then they then they charge you fees if you're late with it, right? Correct. So yeah. Quite quite credit card like. Yeah. Well, they're they're pitching you know you know the four payments basically interest free. Mm. 
uh, mm. other words. And that, that's very compelling for somebody if they can actually put it across, you know, four paydays or two paydays or whatever it is. It sounds compelling, but uh, it's generally the merchant that's actually picking up that cost of money. Um, and and then they stand to gain basically when someone defaults. So, mm. yeah, it, it does come back to a credit card model pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be uh, very interesting to see how these things evolve, and then you know where over time do we land in in terms of um, crypto currencies? Do they yeah. actually become sort of real real currencies? Whereas at the moment it's you know some some a place yeah. you know more often and than not it's about you know speculating on on what they might do uh, you know yeah. in, in the future. Um, you know, rather than being something that we've, you know, we use. Uh, I have actually made a uh, payment. I think it was uh, Red Rooster in Australia where I was able to go in and pay with my cryptocurrency. I think I had to stand there and sort of drum my fingers for about five minutes or ten <laughs> minutes while the transaction actually went, went, went through and so yeah. on, which is yeah. pretty funny. But it was, um, yeah, it was cool to actually yeah. get it, you know, get a handle on what the reality was and what the what the challenges yeah. are yeah. with, uh, uh, yeah. you know, crypto in terms of actually making uh, yeah. making payments. But uh, there's, there's, a, there's a whole lot of possibilities there too. Not enough crypto miners stood up at the back end basically to process your transaction fast. <laughs> Yeah, and this, yeah. This, uh, anyway, that's a whole nother whole nother rabbit hole. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, pretty pretty impressive um, payday anyway for yeah. uh, for and, after. And I see that the US is actually starting to make moves basically to towards basically regulating the cryptocurrency sort of world. So I think we're going to see some uh, interesting moves basically from government governments in terms of um, how they regulate the the payments sort of market, the crypto markets, and and the and the traditional mm. traditional banks. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly uh, we have very, uh, yeah, very strong rules as far as anti-money laundering is, yep. you know, is, con- is concerned. Uh, and so, you know, crypto, there has to be some sort of um, uh, crossover for Correct. governments not to want to um, make life very, very difficult. So yeah, uh, well, yeah. There's, there's an obligation to know your customer, and you know, um, certainly the you know, cyber sort of uh, people like the NSA and the likes basically have been able to sort of intercept some of these crypto sort of currencies being used for you know ransom payments of of, of late. So yes, yeah, there's that's, certainly that's some really inter- interesting uh, things happening in that space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would I would love to know a little bit more. Um, you know, around what uh, what maybe uh, goes on behind the scenes there. Now, one more thing that I wanted to chat about today is a new product from Microsoft, their new virtual PC, their new virtual computer. Now, I'm not talking about the, the virtual PC product Microsoft acquired, what was it, 15, 15 20 years, years ago, ago something yeah. a, long, a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about... Uh, I guess to you know to a degree this is is a new marketing spin because you've been able to get a virtual computer uh, from Microsoft in their Azure cloud for you know for a considerable period of of, of time, um, but by by launching this product with this Windows 365 branding and look it's it's been you know it's been a few weeks since they announced it. Um, but today it is available officially here in the New Zealand market. You can buy it. We've got all the um, the pricing plans uh, clearly 
aimed at business because there are two options, the business or the enterprise version. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they exclude uh, GST. Uh, they've got a starting point uh, here in the New Zealand uh, market of $45.40 and, uh, and uh, per user per month. Mm-hmm. There is a, a lower-based fee for those who have a, uh, already have a uh, license or a subscription that gives them Windows hybrid benefit. That's a little bit lower, 37.80. But the thing to note, that sounds like quite a tempting price point to be able to get a, you know, a virtual computer in the in the cloud, uh, is that's a very low end configuration with one one virtual CPU or virtual processor, two gigabytes of RAM and 64 gigs of of storage. So probably a, a lower spec device than anyone would expect to operate on. The, the I guess what's sort of becoming more the the norm these days for a you know base base level computer is a quad core uh, you know machine with eight to sixteen gigs of RAM and so on. So that price point for a, a, a quad core uh, machine on their business one starts at uh, one hundred and thirty two New Zealand dollars, um, sixteen gigs of RAM, one hundred and twenty eight storage. So there's lots of these things online. We'll try and put a link into the show notes up at nztechpodcast.com if you want to go and find this because don't go and Google it and expect to be able to find this result because you'll get much the same as when Microsoft launched Microsoft 365 and the Google results would just show you all the old Microsoft Office 365 results. Um, And that was exactly what happened after Microsoft alerted me today to, hey, it's out, it's public. Um, And I went to Google straight away and searched for Windows 365 and and I did not get anything about Windows 365. Um, I got something about the Microsoft 365 plans. So um, we will share that link, their enterprise Plans are naturally at sort of higher higher price points, you know, depending on what you want. I think actually no, because with the enterprise, I think you already have to have the the subscription piece. So it actually may not make any. Um, yeah, so I don't actually don't think technically that it's um, that it's necessarily anymore. Having yeah. a quick look through the pricings, but. What do you what do you think about this this stuff? Because it opens up some interesting you know yeah. possibilities if this sort of becomes a mainstream way of of yeah. operating, and each organisation needs to weigh up the you know the costs and how that plays out. But some some interesting possibilities in terms of how this might get used. Yeah, well, I think for small medium businesses, uh, it's how do you, how do you remove the complexity of all of the you know the truck rolls or the remote support sort of issues basically that are that are Windows desktop can actually have and if you can take away a lot of that complexity um, whilst at the same time making sure it's you know it's patched and you've got a curated set of applications um, that, that are uniquely differentiated from what you can get basically on say you know like an iPad or something like that from you know the office 365 um, sort of suite. Uh, then I think it's got got some um, compelling sort of propositions for the business because it then means that they can avoid all of the all of the back end costs that you would typically have to do to actually you know set up physical servers and your data centers and all those types of things. So if you can defray all of that complexity and just turn it into a, you know, a con- consumption based sort of model, um, a lot of benefit. Especially if businesses want to start sort of pivoting towards you know bring your own bring your own device and 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 
if they can actually start separating, you know, the, the business experience that a user needs with, with their business applications and separating that from the device where the person's got their own, you know, personal experience for browsing and watching Netflix and all those types of things. If they can do that in a secure way and take away the complexity of actually that remote support, I think there could be some um, good things here. Mm. Um, you know, they are going to have to, of course, sort of address how do I print and how do I work when I'm offline and then, I'm suspecting that might come basically as a as a phase two, and it's going to be uh, interesting to see sort of whether as as um, Microsoft with Azure starts sort of investing in the in the DCs in New Zealand, whether uh, there's benefits of actually running this out of the uh, the New Zealand data centres sort of in the, in the next year one one to two years. So yeah, yeah well, you would you would imagine that it would certainly operate at its best when you when it's operating yeah. from a local yeah, low, uh, local data centre, and yeah. so um, you know the closer that that data center is to you, the the better. Yeah. Um, so you know, a little bit of a little bit of a wait yeah. um, there for that to be uh, that to be available locally. What's the what's the um, can you remember the date when? Uh, when uh, I think it, I think it's somewhere out? 23, 2023. You hope maybe earlier. It'd be great. Yeah, great if it is. I'll see next year. Um, yeah, right, I think I'm, it's late, I'm probably next year if it up. is. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. you know, the difference between a five millisecond sort of uh, responsiveness and a you know. 30, 40 milliseconds sort of worth worth of round tip responsiveness so it could could be all the difference yeah and I know we've got good UFB and uh, 4G um, 5G uh, capabilities here but it, it is going to make the whole experience a lot more snappy because mm. you know, a lot of people with VDI you know, virtual desktop infrastructure still really really struggle basically even in corporate sense where they've spent millions of dollars in the back end yes, yes. if you get it wrong the experience is actually very wrong yeah, um, yeah. so they've got to get it right. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to uh, how this plays out. I imagine to you know to start with, um, yeah, there'll be certain scenarios where it becomes yeah. oh, that's a that's a great, use great case. fit. Yeah. But probably for the majority of the market in the in the early days, um, yeah, I would imagine it's um, yeah it's not going to be at the, the, the top of people's lists. And as time goes on and they develop it, and uh, you know, it. Uh, I guess the value will, you know, will probably improve over over time. But the fact that Microsoft are, you know, are packaging this up as a, you know, bulk offering to the market, you yeah. know, they're not doing that lightly. They're obviously, um, you know, very much expecting to get a pretty reasonable amount of amount of uptake. I would imagine. Yeah. Over well, time. you've got to have that instant on experience. So as soon as you double click the app, it's got to be like an app basically working on your mobile device. It's got to be, you know, you've got to be able to type and interact with it. Like literally within a second or so, mm. and and with with the back end and low latency, that that type of experience is definitely possible now. Mm. Well, and you can imagine the types of ways in which people will access this, you know, cloud-based computer. Yeah. Um, my Samsung TV at, at at home, you know, I'm pretty sure you could probably uh, plug a keyboard and 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 mouse into yeah. it because um, yeah. because yeah. there is a remote desktop capability uh, built into the TV. There's no reason why these, uh, you know, USB-C docking monitors mm. uh, that we have today couldn't actually probably have that capability also built in. They've often got, you know, Ethernet um, jack and certainly room to plug in keyboard and mouse and so on. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a there's a bit of smarts in there. There's yeah. firmware that needs updating and so on. Yeah. Um, so the monitor could have the capability where, you know, just to a, a, you know, slightly smarter monitor than your your yeah. base one has has all of the smarts. Uh, you know, our Samsung phones, 
you know, today, USB-C in, everything comes up, uh, you know, full screen, keyboard and mouse support. It's really probably just the, the iPhone um, uh, that, you know, maybe isn't, isn't catered to right yeah. now yeah. Um, for being able to enable this stuff. And you could probably have a little very cheap uh, dongle that could, you know, mm. be taken around and do, do your two-factor. Yeah, well, it starts changing the economics because at the desktop level, you know, if you, your TV might be 500 bucks and TVs are quite reasonable monitors these days and, uh, um, you know, versus, you know, a, a, an entry-level laptop is probably for a business is still fifteen hundred bucks. So two grand down to five hundred dollars is actually a, you know reasonable amount of capital. And if you've got a hundred people in your business, basically that's you know capital you're not having to spend anymore. And you've also probably done away with the you know the three year refresh cycle basically of a lot of that hardware. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's uh, there's certainly economic gains, especially if you can actually improve the security at the same time. Yeah. Oh uh, well, interesting times ahead. Well. Great to catch up, Stephen. Thanks, Paul. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll look look forward to uh, hearing a bit more about the new things that that you you delve into over time. And thanks everybody for listening in to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Again, we'll be back again next week. So see you then. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.